Avoid stressful situations. Stress activates the addiction. So exercising is extremely calming. And we do have a study showing that particularly walking, walking will stop a craving. And I, and we go, I love going back, way back to evolutionary science to understand why would that be? And I think it's because people had to walk to find food. So your own natural hunger system would say, you're hungry, get up and walk because you've got to walk to find your food. And then once you're walking and, and your system, your primitive system has gotten you to go get food, then you don't need those cravings anymore. So um, exercise is the great leveler. It, it, it definitely will replace. If you, can, if you have a craving and you can get out and walk or run, um, you, you can stop a craving that way. It's incredibly useful to know. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. I've been doing this podcast now for just about five years. And during that time, I've had some phenomenal conversations with just people make doing some really groundbreaking work in their fields. That's why this is one of the most important episodes I've done. That voice here in the beginning is the guest for this episode, Dr. Joan Iflin. And I chose that clip for a very specific reason because Dr. Iflin's work is really it's groundbreaking. She's in an area, a new field of study that is looking at processed food addiction. And I'll say that again. Dr. Joan Iflin is a specialist in processed food addiction. Now, we've known about alcohol addiction for years. We've known about drug addiction. Sex addiction is, is a relatively new thing. We've known about gambling addiction. And yes, we, we've been treating, people have been treated as food addicts. We've known about food addiction. Dr. Iflin's work, though, is specifically in the area, in the realm of processed food addiction. And you'll hear over the course of this conversation today, you're going to hear me connect a few dots. And for, for listeners, if you're a regular listener, you know I've shared some about my, my personal experience, my personal background. You'll hear a little bit more of personal story, a little bit more in depth. And if you're somebody that has gone through the same experience, if you're somebody that's in the same experience as I share about, please reach out to me. You can reach out to me via the Facebook group, All About Fitness Podcast group via Facebook. You can reach out to me at my email, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. If we're walking the same journey, and you'll hear me talk about that later, if we're walking the same journey, if we're working on the same things, I want you to reach out and let's connect. Because part one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to try to create community. That's one of the reasons why this is such an important conversation today because a lot of us are dealing with issues related to food. And it's not necessarily just food in general, but it's processed food. There's a difference between eating relatively clean and there's a difference between eating processed food. And one of the things you're going to hear Dr. Iflin talk about is the amount of money and time some of these companies have spent researching how processed food changes the human body. And we're not just talking about a few pounds of fat. We're talking about from neurochemistry, neurophysiology on out. That's why this is such a fascinating conversation. If you've wondered 
why you do all these things right. You exercise, you try to eat clean, and you still find yourself with that bag of cookies or, or going through a drive-thru sometimes. Number one, you're not alone. You're not. Number two, you have a multi-billion dollar industry stacked up against you. And that's what we talk about today. That's, that's Dr. Ifland's specialty is an understanding processed food addiction. My specialty is exercise. If you want to learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life, and as I mentioned, slow down the aging process, if you enjoy the All About Fitness podcast and the programming I'm bringing to you, you can support it a couple of different ways. One, you can buy some content that I've produced. I have an ebook called Dynamic Anatomy. In Dynamic Anatomy, I teach how your muscles function when you move so you can identify the best exercises for your needs. In Exercise for the Fountain of Youth, I go through some of the science of how exercise slows down the aging process. And I give you workouts that you can do that, according to the research, should help you enhance your lifespan, extend your lifespan, and enhance the quality of life as you do that. Each of those ebooks is very reasonably priced. And if you enjoy the podcast, I'm not putting the content behind a paywall, but I'm asking that you support the podcast by purchasing an ebook. You can also just go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com. You can go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, sign up for my mailing list. I send out one or two high-quality emails a month where I share with you information that you can use to enhance and extend your life, enhance your quality of life, and extend your lifespan. So go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, sign up for my mailing list. I will send you a chapter from my book, Smarter Workouts. I'll send you a bodyweight workout that you can do anywhere you take your body, and you'll be receiving content from me and information on how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. There's my ask. Now, this is a fascinating discussion, and I mean that. It, we go in depth. Dr. Ifflin provides an overview of how processed food changes our bodies from the inside out. So here we are with Dr. Joan Ifflin, a specialist in processed food addiction. Today on the All About Fitness podcast, we are speaking with Dr. Joan Ifflin, Dr. Ifflin is an expert in nutrition, and more importantly, what, what I really am looking forward to speaking with you about, doctor, is your focus on the emerging field of, of well, what you refer to as the emerging field of food addiction. How are you doing today? I'm great, and I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. And I want to clarify that. I, I, I said food addiction, but I think you specialize specifically in processed food addiction. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's processed foods that are the problem. Real food is obviously not a problem. We've been eating real food for 7 million years. But when you process foods and you concentrate the natural endorphins in them, and then you lay on a lot of advertising, especially to small children, you develop the addiction. It, it, you honestly, you hit one of the big pointers or one of the big things I wanted to, to ask you about right off the top there where you reference endorphins. But real quick, what I always like to ask guests is how did you get interested in this field? First, how did you get interested? How did you go down the, the nutrition pathway? And then once you're down down that road, because I believe you are an RDN, correct? And that's, no, no, no. I'm a PhD. No, you're a PhD. I, I knew I'm you had PhD. that. I wasn't sure if you're an RDN. And for no. listeners, that's Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. The PhD or RDN or should be only people giving out, in my opinion, um, nutrition advice. But when you went to get your PhD, what was it that caused you to study the field of nutrition in the first place? So um, I grew up in a, in a rageful household. 
thin. We were all thin. We were highly active, but raging. There would be these outbursts of violent rage uh, frequently from the children and the adults. Uh, When I went on to have my two children in 81 and 84, I so much did not want to raise them in that household. And yet there I was breaking out in rage helplessly. I was doing therapy. I was doing uh, exercise. I was doing women's groups. I was doing 12-step groups to get that raging to stop. And it just, it would come out of me without uh, warning. And, and it was just very humiliating. And, then, and I was yo-yo dieting. The two pe- pregnancies back-to-back had left me with a weight problem. And I'd given up cigarettes. I, and I couldn't do it again. I couldn't do that low-calorie dieting again. And it came out in one of my support groups. Somebody said to me, why don't you try food addicts in recovery? Hmm. And I was like, why? But she, what this person heard was the sugar driving my behavior. So in January 1996, I gave up sugars and flowers. And the raging stopped. And the brain fog stopped and the fatigue stopped and the circular thinking stopped and the allergies stopped and the bloating stopped and the um, sinus infection finally after years stopped. And I was losing two pounds a week with eating a lot of food. But it was in the third week when I realized that the raging had stopped, Mm. that I adopted this as a career. And I, I would say technically, I, or not technically, but by education, by background, I'm an addictionist. So if you were to ask me about supplements, uh, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't have a nutritionist or a dietitian background. I am, I'm really a hardcore addictionist. Interesting, because I know, and these are all merging fields. I know in the last... Yeah maybe eight to 10 years, there, there's a lot of stuff in the news and the media about sex addiction. And yeah. just, just so you know, that's what my father and I, and, and I not too long ago had a, a, a health behavior sex specialist on the podcast. And we talked Super. a little bit about sex addiction, but that's yeah. what my father specialized in. My father was a PhD counselor who ah. uh, was doing a, a certain area. And then all of a sudden he kind of developed, evolved into this role of people who were addicted to internet pornography and that became mm-hmm. like his area especially oh, was in, that, in that specific realm of sex addiction yeah. and you so you have sex addiction and and how does food and we we're familiar with like drug addiction alcoholism they're all the same ism if you if you read through and understand the literature but how does food addiction work and and specifically and I'll get we'll get to processed food in a moment but just in general if you could provide an overview of food addiction and kind of the what that how would somebody be, be classified or be identified as someone who might be a food addict? Mm-hmm. So you cannot be addicted to clean what I call clean unprocessed foods because it activates the feeding part of the brain, mm. whereas the processed foods activate the reward centers in the brain. Mm. And there's the big difference. We we have food and then we have <clears throat> drugs that are being sold to us as if they were food. So this is the same thing the tobacco industry did. They put extra nicotine into cigarettes and sold them as a pleasure. They're not, they're, they're just a, a nasty addiction. It was when tobacco came into processed foods and they bought, tobacco bought Nabisco 
craft mm -hmm. and general foods in the space of about two years, 1985 to 1987, uh, that mm -hmm. we got into trouble because there's a business model for addicting people. It's the business model that alcohol and cigarettes and processed foods and vaping and cannabis all use. So how does it work? Well, if you get enough addictive substances in your system often enough, you start to hyperactivate these reward brain cells, dopamine, serotonin, endocannabinoid, and opiate. And so they're, they're pumping out too much neurotransmitter and you're getting cravings. <clears throat> but you associate it with, say, to, uh, television commercials. So by association, it's associated cue. Then the television commercials can start to activate that release of addictive neurotransmitter. So that is the kind of the neurological basis of an addiction, any addiction. One of those four systems is pumping out so much neurotransmitter that, and in such a short period of time, a concentrated period of time that you get a high and then you get a crash. And in the crash, the crash is very unpleasant. You don't have enough dopamine, it hurts. So you're drawn to using whatever it is, whether it's pornography or gambling or shopping or alcohol or meth, or they, they're all, uh, artificially stimulating those reward cells. You're getting a high and then a crash and the crash will drive you to use again. So that's the neurological basis of it. How do you know you have it? Well, um, in the textbook, the Processed Food Addiction textbook, there's one chapter on each of the 11 diagnostic criteria. You can diagnose this that the American Psychiatric Association has built over 50 years, a really intense debate within the organization. They're very solid criteria and there are 11 of them. If you are experiencing two to three, you have a mild case of addiction. Uh, four to five is moderate, six and over is severe. Hmm. And as I wrote those chapters, there's a chapter on each one of those criteria in the textbook. Uh, that is when I realized that many people are walking around unknowingly with a severe, it's a severe addiction. It's not just a garden variety, uh, you know, I need to cut back from two glasses of wine to one glass. No, this is severe. It's life consuming. So that is how we know. That is how we know. This is, an, this is a straight up, this is straight up drug addiction. It's the most complicated drug addiction ever, I, I would say, for a lot of different reasons. But uh, it's just drug addiction. Well, it's interesting you say that about the commercials because about a year ago, I, I cut the cord and got rid of my cable, right? When when everything when – when I realized my, my income was going to be severely impacted, I wasn't going to be traveling as much. One of the things I do is I, I'm an education consultant and I do a lot of travel and I work with a lot of health clubs. So when everything shut down in 2020, that kind of uh, yeah. impacted my – so one of the things I did to cut expenses was to get rid of my cable. And maybe a couple weeks ago, I, I took my kids on spring break and we were at a hotel – and I just haven't been watching that much TV. If I watch a little something, I might catch some news clips on YouTube or I might catch something on Netflix. So it's not like I'm, I'm saying I'm completely off TV. I don't want to give that impression. But being on the paper, being on the on-demand services like Netflix, like Amazon, 
you are not subjected to the commercials. You're not subjected to the media representations. And I really noticed, Doctor, that just watching a little bit of regular TV, network TV, I'm like, wow, the commercials really are – I didn't – having not been exposed to commercials for a while, you really notice them and they really are quite an impact. And so – one of the things that I can see where 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 your work is is that you there's this association between if I eat this type of food, whether it's a cracker, a candy, a cook, whatever it is, I'm going to feel this certain way. Mm-hmm. Is that one of the triggers that these companies have realized? That I guess the question is how these companies combined it to make to make eating much more emotional. We know that eating if we're having a meal together, can have an emotional connection. There's a connection between people. Yeah, uh, It's my understanding that a lot of these processed food companies, what, what did, what did, uh, there's one, there's one author that calls it the industrial food complex. Yeah. Who, you know, the industrial food complex has realized we can put these triggers out there to initiate this emotional response. How has that influenced this, this field, this emerging field of processed food addiction? Well, we have, um, we're on to them. <laughs> this is it's one message I love giving to people, which is this is not your fault. This is a carefully engineered addiction by the same people who got two thirds of American adults to smoke. Mm. So it's I, I call it and I've published on this the five A's of the addiction business model. You uh, you ramp up the addictive properties in the product. So the tobacco industry added nicotine to cigarettes. When tobacco came into processed foods, I hired a consultant, Howie Moskowitz, who has a PhD from Harvard in experimental psychology of marketing. He's a data guy, and he developed this process where you could maximize the amount of sugar, fat, salt in processed foods, and the consumer would still accept it. Mm. So once one corporation had maxed out the addictive properties of their products, everybody had to do it because there, there's a huge impact on sense of taste from this. And so if you have a tomato sauce that's got the same amount of sugar as two Oreo cookies in a half cup serving, everybody has to do that because it will blunt the sense of taste and then your tomato sauce will taste like nothing. So, so that was the first thing that they did. They hired a Howie Moskowitz, he went around to and reformulated hundreds and hundreds of processed foods. So A is for addictive properties in the, in the, in the food. Uh, a is for advertising. So if you, if you addict by repeatedly using the addictive substance, then you can trigger the addiction through advertising. Mm. A is for young age of onset. So we see uh, that as soon as they came into the industry, the number of Saturday morning cartoon commercials for processed foods went already, it was already 160. It went to like 560 in seven years. Wow. So children were being bombarded with, with activation of these addicted uh, brain cells. Then you make it very cheap. You make it affordable, A is for affordable, so that people, there's no barrier to buying it. And you put it everywhere. You make it very, very available so that you don't have to wait to act on a craving. You can go into the break room. Like when I got out of business school in 1978, 
I went to work for a Fortune 200 company. I had this gorgeous MBA from Stanford and I worked at the corporate office in finance. There was no food anywhere. Hmm. There was coffee in the break room and there was creamer and there was sugar. And you would never imagine eating something in a meeting. You would just be, people would be shocked. But, you know, seven or eight years later, processed foods come into the, the tobacco comes into the processed food industry. And suddenly there's processed foods everywhere. So this is a business model, addictive properties, advertising, young age of onset, affordable, available. And it swept the nation. People wonder, how did we get this obesity epidemic so fast? Well, those were very powerful corporations. And that's how they did it. Well, it's interesting, doctor. I was going to bring up your your Stanford MBA at some point because I, I don't keep a formal list of of people on here, and I should, I need to, because I think Stanford. I've I've had more uh, more experts on here from Stanford than any than any other program. So just to let you know, you're in good company. Um, oh gosh, yeah, I'm very very grateful for that degree. And, and how did that? So how did how did that business case approach? And I'm not sure if Stanford does. Does Stanford look at business cases? Do they do a case study mm-hmm. approach? It's a case study approach, yeah. And so did that help you identify? Because it never really occurred to me, but and I had a client, just to take a step back, a personal training client of mine was very involved in finance, was high finance, and he had actually worked, he was one of the bond he was one of the, the bonds people on the RJR Nabisco deal. And when oh. we were working together, he had me read Barbarians at the Gate. Which yes. was about, about was about the whole RJR. He was featured in there as one of the financiers of how RJR, which which is what RJ Reynolds, the tobacco industry. Yes, yes. Go and it never, yes. it never until you said that, doctor. And and I have to admit that I'm, I'm somewhat interested in conspiracy theories, but that's a whole nother that's another podcast topic. And I will say that the last four years has ruined my taste for conspiracy theories. However, yeah, yeah. Um, just to let you know, I, I did not go down that route at all about this nonsense okay. that's been going on. Yeah. It occurs to me, and I heard this said before, but I never thought about it that way, that absolutely in the mid-80s, you had R.J. Reynolds buying Nabisco. And yes, we always had vanilla wafer, or vanilla wafers. We had Oreos and, and other Nabisco products. But just thinking back to the last 35 years – since and I think that was what you said, eighty six, eighty seven. Mm-hmm. So think back the last thirty years, there's been an immense change in terms of how these foods. So is that really? So your ability as an, as a Stanford MBA to look at case studies along with your training as a PhD in nutrition is that where you kind of identified that this is a very specific model of businesses saying, hey, we have an addicted, we have we have an addictive product here. How can we hook people early? Oh gosh, yes. It was it, it. When you look at my background, it doesn't make any sense at all. So my undergraduate degree from Oberlin is in uh, political science and economics. I worked for two years at the Wisconsin State Legislature, Legislature on their fiscal staff. Then I went to business school, and then five years uh, at this uh, Fortune 200 company in finance. And then, and then I had my two children, and I was really too sick by then to maintain that kind of a career. But for what I'm, and then the PhD in addictive nutrition, mm. uh, you think, wow, that's the weirdest background ever. You've got to have all those pieces before you can figure out what's really going on. The most important thing about this is that we have it validated. It's, it's, so when the tobacco settlements came, they were required to put on file in a depository like 40,000 
internal documents. And they were deposited at University of California, San Francisco. Hmm. And those researchers are going through them. Uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, they published on the transference of the tobacco marketing techniques to marketing sugar to children. Wow. It's chilling. And they used a method called surround marketing, where you have, you have triggers in your environment everywhere. So you look at Marlboro, and they have like a warehouse of logoed items. You can get a logoed lighter, mm-hmm. logoed jackets. And for children, they tried logoed book covers for high school kids. It's diabolical. So they brought that whole method over to sugar. Actually, the first purchase was R.J. Reynolds of Hawaiian Punch in 1963. And they, the reason why a juice box is the same shape and color as uh, cigarette packets. Holy, I never thought about that. Yeah, same, uh, it's, just, it's diabolical. But it wasn't until 1980 that, that the tobacco industry got really interested in this is because, and it was because of the invention of high fructose corn syrup. Mm -hmm. So remember one of the A's is affordable. It's got to be cheap enough that you can buy it all the time. You had this really nasty sugar cartel controlling the sweetener market. But when high fructose corn syrup came on in 1980, that, that just broke that, that broke that cartel. And everybody was trying to sell corn products. So that was that was another piece, and then you have this is so it's just it's not conspiracy theory. It's very well documented. Um, you had two researchers at Harvard, nutrition researchers, who were on the take from the sugar industry to make fat the cause of heart disease. Okay. And so you had the whole low-fat craze, which just fueled the refined carbohydrate addiction. Because everybody turned to refined carbohydrates, you had the very first food pyramid, which was run by one of those scientists, Mark Hegstead. Um, The bottom row is all highly addictive refined carbohydrates. So you you can just imagine those tobacco executives jumping for joy. What? Not only are we not going to be dragged into court, but the government is going to promote these products? Mm, We have to get into this. (laughs) And they did. Do you hear that? No, you barely hear a thing. This is a new Accelerate percussion massage gun by Nimble. I've been using this for the past few weeks and absolutely love it. First, as you can tell, it's not that noisy. If you've ever been in the gym and wondered who the heck is using an air hammer only to find out it's one of those massage guns, you know how loud they can be. This one is super quiet, which means you can use it around other members of your family when they're asleep, either late at night or early in the morning. I saw the first one of these back in 2007, and the cost was more than $2,000. And the prices come down substantially. The way a massage gun works is it activates the muscle spindles and the Golgi tendon organs in your muscle tissue to help relieve tension. There's some great research out there. I've read it. Trust me. I am loving this massage gun, and if you love to exercise, if you love to work out, if you love to push yourself, and you want good sources of recovery so you can get back to that next workout, I highly, highly recommend the Accelerate Massage Gun by Nimble. There'll be a link down below in the show notes. 
Because you're you listen to all about fitness, because you're an all about fitness listener, use code AAF20. That's AAF20 to save 20% on the purchase of an Accelerate Nimble Percussion Massage gun of your own. If you're looking for a great source of recovery, I highly recommend it. Information is down below in the show notes. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I have to say that that years ago, and again, part of it was was my former client was rather than shake my fist and go, you know, oh, they're so. I just started doing the research and started investing in some of the same companies. And so I managed my investment portfolio kind of along. I'm like, look, right now, if it's not illegal to have an addictive thing, like I invest in MGM casinos, which and I do that because of sports betting. Now that sports betting is becoming more legalized, I'm looking at the long term play of because in all other developed countries in England, Australia and Europe, you can go to the stadium and place a bet. At a, at a sports book as you go into the stadium before every other game. And you can debate whether or not the, the whole thing about sports betting, whatever. I don't want to go there. But I'm like, as long as it's legal, why not why not invest in it? Same with cannabis. I've been investing in cannabis companies the last few years because yeah. you can have yeah. a debate on what – you can have debates on it. But I look at, at cannabis products as if we sell cigarettes, why not sell cannabis? We tax it. We fund things. And why not? And, and why not do that? And and I didn't have any money. I didn't have two nickels together in the late '90s when dot com was booming up. So I'm kind of I'm looking at all these things, and it's also understanding a little bit about addictions to say, you know, if people use it responsibly, it's not necessarily a bad thing. So looking at that, let's take a step back and talk about the neurochemical because I know one of the reasons why I invest in some of those products is because the influence they have on dopamine, because the influence they have on serotonin. And one of the things that I, that I want to come back to, because you said, and I, I never pronounce it right, you said the endocannabinoid system in the body. And I don't think a lot of people out there are aware that we have an internal cannabinoid receptor system in our body. Yeah. That's yeah. why THC works. That's why CBD works. So can you talk a little bit more, a little bit more in depth, doctor, about some of these neurotransmitters, what, what many people commonly call endorphins, but are really, I mean, these are chemicals produced by our brain uh-huh. that are our feel-good centers. Yes. So there are four major centers, and processed foods, act, different processed foods activate all of them. Mm. It's one of the reasons why this is such a hard addiction to overcome. If you're like, if you're only using alcohol, for example, and you've only uh, blown out your dopamine system, you can go back to the serotonin cannabinoid, cannabis, cannabis, cannabis cannabinoid. And then endo just means inside yourself. So you don't really need the endo. Cannabinoid. Uh, uh, So you can rely on your three other uh, systems. Uh, You can learn how to activate your three other systems and still feel good enough to get off the alcohol. But processed foods don't give you that break. So the sugar and caffeine activate the dopamine. Excessive salt, the natural casomorphines in dairy, and um, they activate the opiate system. Fats activate the cannabis system. And flour activates the serotonin system. Gluten also activates the opiate system. So when you go for a fast food meal, you're getting all four systems uh, addicted. You're getting all four systems activated. When you see a fast food commercial, they're all being activated. And that's why people are so helpless. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're driving down the road, you're determined you're going to go home and eat that clean meal in your refrigerator and your car just kind of turns itself into the fast food lane. Well, you you have mirror neuron activation because you see all those cars lined up and then you have all four of your reward system pathways, your addictive pathways are lighting up. Your frontal lobe, which is where uh, rational decisions are made, that's where your braking system is. All the blood flow is going to the rest of the brain. Mm. And you don't have your braking system. The part of the brain that said, whoa, 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 we're not eating that today. You can't, you, that message cannot be released by those neurotransmitters because they don't have enough blood flow to do that. So this is, we are finding that because all of those are, when I say blown out, it means that they've been downregulated which means that the, the signal is no longer jumping the synapse. The receptor has closed down. It's a C-shaped receptor and it's just collapsed. You can get it to open up again. If you back off the bombardment, uh, it will open up again and you can start feeling good again. But that's the sad thing about this addiction is that all four of your feel-good pathways are all collapsed. Hmm. So people, uh, we have these epidemics of depression and anxiety. It's because the part of the brain that makes you feel good is um, it's not working. So that's how you get an addiction. And that's why addictions are so painful. It's like being in a prison inside your mind. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so interesting because today was the first day back to spring break. We're recording this in mid-April. And today was the first day back to spring break where all the kids in my, in my kids' school, and they're still in elementary school, were going to school together. For the last number of months, some kids have gone on some day. There's been like an A group and a B group, and it's been whatever. But we're getting back to school. And I saw one of the other parents there, one of the other fathers who I hadn't seen in a few months. And I was like, oh, wow. I mean, I could tell he had lost some weight. And we were talking about it. And what he said, doctor, and, and I don't want to share too much, because, but what he said was that he's now on different meds. He had been really depressed and he really realized how self-destructive his whole eating behavior is. Oh, good. Yeah. And he started exercising. And I shared with him that I was going to be having this conversation with with somebody who's a specialist in, in, in food addiction. But is it reversible? What is yes. what's reversible? And what role does exercise play in that reverse? So if we if we go if we get down trapped down this for whatever, we've been told don't go out. We've been in this in this whole pandemic and and that, that creates this cascade of fear. And then all of a sudden we get stuck at home and we're buying crap because it makes us feel better right away. That can shut down our neurotransmitters. But mm-hmm. what role does exercise play in kind of being able to rewire and reverse how our brain has just been conditioned? Yeah. So when you get off of processed foods and you don't have this hyperactivation of those pathways, you need to find something else that will activate them. And exercise is one of them. Exercise improves blood flow to the head. So the, one of the whole uh, goals of recovery is to get blood flow back to the frontal lobe. Mm, okay. Where frontal lobe is where you have uh, attention span, learning, decision-making, memory, impulse control. And if you don't have blood, you know, people wake up from a binge and they say, why did I do that? I know better. Well, I know better is in the frontal lobe. Hmm. And that, that part of the brain just got shut off. So you want to get blood flow back to the frontal lobe. 
98% of the brain is running on an automated system, which takes in information, stores it, and then acts on it. It doesn't have any evaluation, which is, this is what the food industry has really exploited, is they can just surround you with messaging. And this is why you cannot teach recovery because you're trying to teach into this impaired frontal lobe. But if the rest of the brain is still taking in processed food messaging, then the rest of the brain is still gonna be acting on that messaging. But what the frontal lobe can do is it can control the messaging that reaches the rest of the brain. So when you exercise and you're getting blood flow to the frontal lobe, you're improving the frontal lobe's ability to do exactly what you just described. Cut out television. Drive a different way so that you're not passing fast food on the way home. Um, avoid stressful situations. Stress activates the addiction. So exercising is extremely calming. And we do have a study showing that particularly walking, walking mm -hmm. will stop a craving. And I and we go. I love going back way back to evolutionary science to understand why would that be, and I think it's because people had to walk to find food. So your own natural hunger system would say, "You're hungry, get up and walk," because mm. you've got to walk to find your food. And then once you're walking, and and your system, your primitive system, has gotten you to go get food, then you don't need those cravings anymore. So. Um, Exercise is the great leveler. It, it, it definitely will replace. If you can, if you have a craving and you can get out and walk or run, um, you, you can stop a craving that way. It's incredibly useful to know. But here is what is so interesting about exercise. We have another study showing that if you are exercising to quote unquote burn calories and your brain is, then you're in the addiction. Because your brain is thinking, okay, but we're going to burn these calories and then we'll be able to go and get some processed foods. And I, I remember talking to somebody uh, at a vacation spot. She said, I train so that I can eat the processed foods. I love them so much. It's like, no, 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 no. Stop doing that, please. Because well, it, it hurts. Well, there's this movement in the fitness industry where as instructors, we, we and I'm guilty of this. A lot of most instructors have been guilty of this is if we're teaching a class on Saturday or Sunday morning, it's like well, we're, we're cueing our, our, the, people, our, the people in our workout, hey, you got to make up for what you did last night. You got to make up for what you ate. You got to make up for, for what you drank. And there's been a shift in the fitness industry to try to move away from that thought process. Thank you. Say, don't, don't punish yourself for uh, for whatever but you know do try to activate this but it, it's interesting that, that you mention that because i really do think i mean I, I go back to my father who when he was working he's retired now but when he would take on a new client one of his he would he would require that the client go to a 12-step program um mm -hmm. for like sex addiction one of the 12-step programs but uh -huh. it also require that, that the client start exercising uh -huh. the clients start participating in exercise and my father's like if you don't do those two things I'm not going to, your treatment will not work. He's mm -hmm. like, in my experience, your treatment will not work. And yeah. I've been, you know, I've been a recovering alcoholic for a number of years. Ah. And I don't talk about that much on, on the show, but what's funny is, you know, in the fitness industry, it's, it's funny you mentioned alcohol because I haven't had a drink for more than 12 years. Yeah. They'll find those triggers 
in like in sugar and how it feels. I can still find those triggers in every now and then. There's a uh, there's a um, frozen yogurt place not far, like right down the street from where I live. And every now and then, just I'm like, are you following me? Because every now and then, I'm on my way home and all of a sudden my car is at the place, I'm at the frozen yes. yogurt, and I'm basically <laughs> slapping my vein. For listeners, you know, yes. I'm, I'm basically slapping my vein because that's like basically, it's like a junkie. And it's I'm, the same mechanism. Because I know a number of people deal with this and I know a number of people that exercise, exercise in part to allow themselves to enjoy what they eat. Yeah. So, like anything else in life, there's a balance. And what I try to get people thinking about, doctor, then we'll come back to a question. But what I try to get people thinking about is I don't want you to punish yourself for what you eat or did, what you ate or didn't eat or whatever. That's not that's not right. worthwhile. Right. But it's understanding that if you are going to allow yourself to enjoy an indulgence, an occasional indulgence, understand that it takes about 100 calories to ambulate a mile, to walk or run it. It's about 100 calories of energy. There's a little bit of variance in there. So if you're going to have a treat or a snack or maybe have an extra glass of wine at dinner, understand that there's an energy cost associated with that. Understand that there's an energy cost to say, hey, you're taking in extra energy. What's going to be your plan for expending that energy? It's not so much a, a – I don't, I don't want people to punish themselves, but it's like, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like buying – I look at it as like buying a pair of shoes or buying maybe a new suit. Don't buy something you can't afford. Save the money. Then go out and buy it. What, yeah. what, how can people create a healthy relationship with food? Because I know it can be very dangerous to, to start talking about this, but looking at it, is it really just trying to move away from processed food in general? But yeah. what can we do? What are some steps that we can do that can, we, could, we could kind of reshift or, or focus on creating that healthy relationship? Okay, so this is um, – you know, the, these substances, these processed food substances, sugar – any kind of sugar, flour, gluten, excessive salt, dairy, caffeine, processed fats, food additives, they're unbelievably destructive. Mm. Uh, Nancy Appleton maintains a website with 141 studies oh, linking processed foods with disease. So what I think what's cool for the trainers is not to give the addiction arguments so avoid uh, saying, um, you, avoid the idea that you can work this off. You know, no, it's in there, it's done its damage, and now you're going to go exercise, but exercise is not going to correct that. What I have uh, learned from the research is that if you exercise for mood improvement, this is a great pathway to controlling your food. Mm. So if you go to exercise because I'm going to think more clearly, I'm going to be more optimistic, I'm going to be more positive, which is the result of exercise because that's what those endorphins do, then that will support control over your food. That will support better food and drink choices. Um, everything else about exercise, honestly, will support the addiction. Uh, it gives the addiction an argument. Oh, well, you can just exercise this off. So go ahead and have it. You, that voice that says, go ahead and have it, that's the voice that you're really, um, that, that's the voice of the addiction. And that is 141 diseases. So, um, and exercising for mood is delightful. It's fun. You're going to, it's just going to feel better. You feel more positive about yourself. You do have that improved blood flow. You've got improved uh, hormone function, 
everything about the brain is working well. You've got that nice endorphin release. So build on that. Don't go and uh, you know take away from that by using some processed foods or drink. Uh, build on it. You know, I'm, I've exercised now. What else I, can I do for mood? Oh, I could work a puzzle instead of watching TV. Oh, I could sing instead of um, you know getting on YouTube. I could dance in my living room. I could do. There are many, many things. We've got a whole list of them that people can do to keep building that good mood. That good mood is the first defense against the addiction. So I will tell you over 25 years in this field, what I have learned is that for a severe addiction, you need immersion recovery. Most importantly, you need to be around people who are not eating processed foods. So just like AA surrounds its members with people who are not drinking, it's almost impossible to find people who are not using processed foods. So we've created an online community uh, and that turns out to be the single easiest way to eat a really superb food plan. Get around people who are already eating that superb food plan. Well, is that your online? Because I, I think, was it DARC, D-A-R-C, your online community? ARC, very good. ARC, A-R-C, Addiction Reset Community. Uh, and yes, we've been building that out over three years now. And it turns out that Zoom is really capable of engaging what we call conformance drive. Well, we don't call it that, that's the name of it. Conformance drive. Conformance drive is the single most powerful function in the brain because for seven million years of human evolution, you were in, people lived in small tribes, seven to 12 people. And then maybe a couple of times a year, those tribes would gather into a nation, of maybe 125, 200 people but everybody knew everybody by, uh, by sight. We didn't have speech. Hmm. So we couldn't like depend on somebody describing somebody we didn't know as being trustworthy. The only way we knew somebody was trustworthy was through eye contact. So if you were in a tribe, you lived. If you were not in a tribe, you died. And so people were highly motivated to conform. Uh, if you were going to look for food, you went to look for food. If you were eating, if everybody was eating, you ate. If you were looking for shelter, you looked for shelter. If you were fighting off a predator, everybody fought off the predator. Your children would live and you, your genes would be passed on. The person without conformance drive, the one who wandered off, wanted to be by themselves, well, the giant hyenas were waiting for them and they would die. So the, the non-conforming genes did not get passed on. Each human, according to science, has this incredibly strong drive to conform. And the food industry exploits this mercilessly in the commercials. In the commercials, you see people sitting on a sofa eating bad food. Mm -hmm. And so you sit on the sofa and you're eating bad food and watching TV. Uh, you see people, happy families in the fast food outlets. So you want your family to be happy and you go there. So this is the, and we do have, it's new research. It came out in 2020 showing that if you're in a social circle, which uses processed foods, it's not realistic to think that you can stop using them. So you've got to pick your people. We are finding that we can get conformance drive on food issues and people can still conform to their families and close friends 
for uh, for socializing. But uh, this this is all really breakthrough stuff. Well, yeah. part of this this is so fascinating, Doctor. And I just want to respect your time. But I recently I interviewed um, Dr. Herman Ponser from Duke University, who. Mm-hmm. And I think he did his. I think he did his um, PhD at Yale, either Yale or Harvard. So again, I'm just keeping the tab of the schools. But Dr. Pronser wrote a book um, based on his studies of the the Hadza tribe in North Tanzania. And you talk about and and what he found was that both the women and the men, the, the women would walk a little bit less, but the men, when they were gone on a hunt, they're walking between seven ten thousand meters a day in their uh-huh. search for food. Because mm-hmm. they're still an indigenous nomadic tribe, mm-hmm. that the women will go look for berries and fruit, fruits and grubs. Fruits. The men would go hunt, and so I found it fascinating that you connected the. If you're feeling hunger, go for a walk, uh-huh. and that was one of the things that, that I told you. The other parent just shared with me that he's been walking a lot more lately, and mm-hmm. so I think it's just interesting to connect that. And then I, I interviewed uh, one of your neighbors there, and, and now not, I don't remember where he does his PhD work, but Dr. John Medina from University of Washington up in, in your neck of the woods. And last okay. year, right at the start of this, Dr. Medina was talking about, he, he wrote the book Brain Rules for Aging Well. But Dr. Medina was talking about these type of interfaces of doing like uh, of doing video conferencing can be almost as effective as being in person. Because we are able to make contact and because we are able to do that. And then finally, to, to kind of bring this together and then ask a question, is in you know in AA in the program one of the most powerful things for what works is surrounding yourself with other people and seeing is modeling that behavior of what when the, when the research looks at it they call it vicarious experiences. Uh huh. Uh huh. If I see you, if I see somebody who's my same, similar in age and demographic, if I've seen you gone another day without taking a drink or whatever whatever your your substance is then I know it gives me strength to do that. So is that how you structured your ARC, your ARC community? Are you? Because I, I know there's a lot of issue out there with people say, well, I'm not an addict. But when you look at it fundamentally, as you've, you've pointed out, this isn't our fault. We're being bombarded by images. And the other thing before, before, before you can answer is you are so right. If you watch any sporting event, the beer companies, Taco Bell, you know, all is like – Bring it together. Make this a social event. You're cool if you're having a beer. If you're, you're cool if you're, you know, slamming alcohol down your throat and then putting in eight or nine tacos that you got at, you know, fifth meal on the, you know, the 24-hour drive Taco Bell talk, you know, yeah. drive-through. And it's just like we are really going. It's like swimming up river or trying to go up river without a paddle. So mm-hmm. in your community, that this online resource that you've created, ARC. What type of resources does it provide for people who are looking to break this cycle and become a little bit more just just healthier, move more closer towards health? You're, you're right on the most crucial topic. What you're describing is that surround marketing. So you go to a sporting event or you go to a social event. It's always there. It's always being promoted. Everybody around you is addicted. You, you're you know, you go to a sporting event and the, the vendors are like constantly walking up and down the, the aisles selling stuff. Everybody around you is smack, smack, smack and crunch, crunch, crunch. And it's, it's overwhelming. So we know that that's what we're fighting. And I, I got this, um, that the 12, there are food addiction 12-step groups. They cannot, they cannot touch this addiction. Mm. I'm going to say something, and I'm going to apologize for it in advance. 
we're, this is the last addiction. Every other facility, every other addiction recovery operation transfers the addiction to processed foods. So you go in an AA meeting and there are cookies and coffee. There's, and it used to be that there was smoke in the air. <laughs> so they would transfer you off the alcohol and onto processed foods. And everybody's like, not everybody, but yeah. people are 50 to 100 pounds overweight. And we have that in the research. You know, we know that when people quit smoking, they gain weight. They're transferring the addiction. So they're still using substances to hyperactivate those addicted pathways. So that's one of the reasons why it's one of the reasons. It's, there are many, many reasons why this is a really severe addiction. This is the most severe addiction ever that's ever existed on the, the planet because it starts so young, mm -hmm. because it's addicted all four pathways, because there are a lot of different substances that are addictive, because they are available everywhere, because they're being promoted by these corporations, and because everybody around us is eating them. So the 12-step food addiction recovery groups, they don't have clean food plans. You know, they're still they're saying, oh, you can use artificials. They're still kind of stuck on the weight loss issue. You can use artificial sweeteners. No, you can't. No, we, we have new research showing that the moment a, a sweet taste hits a, a taste bud, it's about half a second for the impact on the brain, that dopamine surge. For fat, on the roof of the mouth, it's about half a second before you get that cannabinoid release. These are highly addictive substances and the food industry has, has manipulated our natural food seeking mechanisms uh, to be addictive. So what do you do? So the ARC over the three years that we've been running it, we've gradually increased the amount of surround recovery messaging that can reach the other 98% of the brain that's working automatically. We're using the 2% of the frontal lobe to control the messaging that re reaches the rest of the brain. So we have 12 hours a day of live programming on Zoom or conference call. So you can pop in anytime. And it won't be more than an hour or two uh, before you get a, a live event. And you are right. Only the frontal lobe at 2% understands screens. The rest of the 98% of the brain is helplessly taking in that messaging, storing it, and acting on it. So we have a big resource center with a lot of videos and activities in it. So when there's not something live on the screen, people can go to the resource center. We've got a private Facebook group where you can talk. But I think one of our best innovations are Facebook private messenger groups. It's just exactly what you were saying. <clears throat> so if I'm a mother of young children, <clears throat> uh, I am not going to relate to the uh, business people who don't have families. If I'm a male business person, businessman, uh, I'm going to relate to other male businessmen. If I'm a female businesswoman, I'm going to relate to other businesswomen. If I have bulimia, I'm going to relate to uh, other bulimics. If I'm LBGTQ, I'm going to relate to other LBGTQ community members. So we, we're, we're building, building, building that mirror neuron engagement uh, all the time. And it's, we're, we're melding technology, the private messenger technology, the Facebook technology, the Zoom technology, 
uh, our platform is a Kajabi platform. Mm. We're, we're melding these to very explicitly counteract what the food industry is doing. And it's working. So we have, we have a pretty amazing retention rate uh, because we understand mirror neuron engagement. Uh, conformance drive engagement is the name of the game. So we're making that easier and easier and easier for our members. It's really fun. I have to say it's really fun. We've got a great team. That's so cool, to, so cool to hear. And and I have to say that one thing that I've loved about the fitness industry for the last number of years, and you have different communities, right? You have the CrossFit community. And the one thing that I think CrossFit did really well, I mean, there, there are some issues with the programming, but that's just high volume. Anytime you do any high-intensity programming, high volume, there could be a little bit of a concern. But one of the things I think that community did really well is they tried to move members of that community more towards paleo. And I'm not a uh-huh. huge fan of advocating any specific type of diet, but when you look at what the paleo model is, the paleo model is no processed foods. Right. Eat more or whatever. And and so some when you see people make rapid, you know, these significant changes, body changes, it's like, okay, that's paleo. And then one analogy before we wrap up that that I try to make with people when we talk nutrition is number one is try to be a good B student. Eat right. You know what you should be eating. Eat right 85, 90% of the time, right? We don't need to be that. We don't need to be the valedictorian of our class to do everything 100%. But if you're doing it 85, 88, 90% of the time, you're going to be a good B student and understand that an indulgence once in a while is not necessarily a bad thing. But if you have very specific goals, that that might take you off the track just because you uh-huh. talk about the guilt and, and everything else. So it's just being mindful of that. And the other analogy that I really like to make, doctor, and I try to do this and I try to internalize this, is you said that the fast food, the fast food example. Well, I mean, I, and I drive a 12-year-old Honda, so I don't drive a performance car. But if I did drive a performance car, and I'm saving my pennies for one, if I did drive a performance car, I'm going to go get the best quality gas for it. I'm going to go uh-huh. yeah. I'm gonna do the research. I'm going to get the high, whatever the high octane mm-hmm. gas I'm yeah. not going to stop down at the cheapo, no-name place right off the freeway that's selling gas, maybe 30 cents a gallon less, with the questionable quality. I'm going to go get the best quality gas I know for that engine. That's kind of how I look at food is like, okay, I understand that if I want this engine, my body, to run properly, I got to put in the best quality. And that any time that I go to that cheapy gas station, i.e. fast food, processed food, whatever – it can impact how the, the performance yeah. function of the engine. Do you, yeah. your program that the, does the arc resource, is that helpful? Is taking that mindset helpful? And do you, is that part of what you try to get people to do is try to realize, try to associate quality of feeling, how you feel better versus, you know, one versus the other. Absolutely. The thing that frustrates trainers out the ears is that they can give their, their, clients all of the analogies all the information and the client can't do it Mm -hmm. it's because the trainer hasn't addressed the addiction and you as you know and your father knew you can only address an addiction inside a community Mm -hmm. so i would say one thing to your trainers yes these analogies are unbelievably helpful really clarifying but they will not work on an addicted person because they're they're going into the frontal lobe and the, the rest of the 98% of the addicted brain is still getting that messaging and acting helplessly on it. So I I have, you know, I feel 
a great deal of compassion for the trainers because they do have all this knowledge. They have nutrition knowledge. They're not getting trained in addiction. So please, um, you know, look us up. And we want to partner with trainers. So uh, we, we want to partner with health professionals, trainers, therapists. Uh, we want to do the heavy lifting on the, the, the minute-to-minute reminding, lifting up, uh, educating. But then we need, pe- we, we need people in that physical space who are going to connect and, and give them, give members uh, exercise routines and the cheerleading and the encouraging. But don't, I just want, that. so a lot of trainers now blame themselves. Hmm. I can't get this person. I had them for two years and then they fell off again. I can't get them back. No, you cannot. An individual cannot do this for a highly addicted person. Refer. Refer to the Addiction Reset community. It's www.foodaddictionreset.com. And we will, uh, we will do that, that moment-to-moment reminding. We will block out the food industry messaging. And then you can have the fun of watching somebody, you know, restore mood and restore mental clarity and restore physical being. That is so much fun. You're taking a monster off their back. But I don't want your trainers to think that they can do this on their own. It's too big of an addiction. It's too deeply seated. Fitness is having the ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. If you want to learn more about exercise, how to design your own workout programs, and how being fit can help you to manage the aging process and enhance your quality of life, then here are a few online education courses for you. Anyone can take these courses to learn more about how exercise affects your body, and fitness professionals can earn continuing education credits for ACE, AFA, and NASM. Dynamic Anatomy will teach you how your muscles and fascia work together to move your body so you can identify the best exercises for your goals. Dynamic Anatomy will teach you more about how specific muscles in your body function when you move. The course is approved for two continuing education credits for ACE, AFA, and NASM. The online course is $29. The ebook itself is only $7. The Total Body Core Training online course teaches you how to design workouts that can produce a fitter, healthier, stronger body capable of doing all of your favorite activities. Total Body Core Training teaches six specific phases of exercise and gives you workout solutions that will keep you moving for an entire year. The online course is $67 and is approved for continuing education credits 0.4 for ACE, 0.5 for NASM, and 5 for AFA. The Functional Core Training eBook itself is only $7. The information is below in the show notes or at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Now let's get back to the interview. You know, I'm just thinking, Doc, because you're absolutely right. I mean, in in the recovery community, and you know this well, I cannot tell you that you have an alcohol problem. I can mm-hmm. observe you. I can see your behavior. I, I can relate to your behavior. But until you and I sit down and you yourself might admit, you know what, I think I might have a drinking problem. And I can relate to you that, yes, I know how you feel. Yes, I was there. 
yes, I'd have to wake up and figure out where I was and where my pants were and be able to to have that. You know, and, and when you hear it's so funny when you sometimes when you go to an AA meeting and you hear people share what to normal people sound like horrendous stories. Sound and anybody who's been in recovery understands the, the, this level of humor. You but what what a normal person might hear is like, oh my God, that sounds horrible. In AA you get a room full of laughter. Yeah. Because we've and, and the reason why I was laughing earlier when you're talking about cookies and cigarettes at an AA meeting, you described a good percentage of AA meetings is mm-hmm. there'll be cookies there. There's usually a cake there to celebrate somebody's birthday because that's worth celebrating. But you are you are feeding processed sugar. You are using you are using tobacco as a substitute because alcohol is essentially sugar. And and there mm-hmm. are a number of there are a number of people in in a twelve step program like AA that are also in a an OA and Overeaters Anonymous or they're uh-huh. they're in similar twelve step programs with, with that and and you you see that so again that's a laughter from being able to relate I wasn't laughing at people. no no I know I know but it's that it's that laughing to be able to relate and the yeah. other thing and and then to kind of close with this is this is one of the cool things about exercise because when you exercise within a community. And I want listeners to really, to listen to this because when you exercise within a community, what you're doing is you're rewiring and repatterning. So you look forward. Part of the, one of the biggest benefits of group fitness is that you are going to a community where you're all supporting each other. Exactly. You're going to a community where you're all high-fiving each other. You're going to a yeah. community where you are rewiring your brains. Yeah. And one of the things that I've been doing the last year or so since since quarantine is I've gotten a lot more into mountain biking, into my mountain biking, which uh-huh. is there's a terrific trail system. And listeners are rolling their eyes going, oh, my gosh, she's talking about mountain biking again. <laughs> but, but one of the reasons why I do that, doctor, is specifically for not only is the, the exercise benefit, but it's for the neurotransmitter benefit. For Absolutely. The, Mood. Serotonin, for the endocannabinoid system because I know that doing something kind of on the edge, what I'm looking to do is trying to create the flow triggers so that I'm creating a positive neurological Absolutely. with exercise Absolutely. by pushing. It's one thing to go to a gym and lift weights, and which is all well and good. It's another thing to go whatever. And for listeners, if you are looking, if you had issues with processed food, and a lot of us have, look for something that gets you exercise that pushes you out of your comfort zone a bit whether it's taking a new class, whether it's doing something new, because am I right, doctor? Is it is kind of replacing that, replacing that kind of that addiction of processed food by doing a, an exercise that might be challenging or new or novel? Yes, yes. Is that a way to repattern the brain. How does that? Yes. We'll wrap the brain, up, the brain likes novelty. Doing something new, uh, you add a different, uh, you know, movement to your exercise routine. Your teacher adds, uh, you know, something new, uh, you, you're more likely to go back to that class. So yeah, the brain does like novelty. Yeah, and then, is- yeah. And then just talk about mood, 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 mood. And, uh, I agree. Just drop this whole thing about somehow you can, it's like, you would never say to an alcoholic, Oh, you know, you had a binger. Sorry about that. Just go exercise it off. <laughs> you would never, you would never say that. No, you know, that's like, I'm going to share my experience about my recovery, blah, blah, blah. You try to get them into an addiction recovery program. Exercise is not an addiction recovery program. It's a component. It's a fantastic component of an addiction recovery program. But um, the other thing to, to really watch is exercise addiction. 
Yeah, I was just. So you can get those. You can get addicted to those that addiction. The exercise high. It, it, it totally is, and I've seen that. I've, I've been around people that have that. And one of the things I try to walk the line on this with this podcast is getting people to recognize that recovery, and I don't mean like recovery, like recovery from an addiction, but physical recovery from exercise is an important component of exercise. Because if you do recognize that, hey, it's been seven or eight days since my last off day or, or that I did a walk instead of instead of doing a high intensity workout, it just it's just being mindful of that. And uh-huh. then one of the things I've loved about this past year, doctor, that that I think. There have been so many challenges over the last year, but one of the things, and I try to look at the, the the silver lining or the golden lining, is one of the things I think that's really we've done well besides spending more time with families is we've been walking a lot more. I don't uh-huh. know about you, but here uh-huh. in Southern California, mm-hmm. I don't know about, about Seattle, but here in Southern California with car-driven culture, I have seen so many more people walk in my mm-hmm. neighborhood over the last year, mm-hmm. partly because they're working from home, partly because maybe they want to get out of the house during the day. But for whatever the reason, who cares, is I see people walking a lot more and I never really associated the, the role of walking with, with dealing with a a food, like if you're getting a food craving. So I think I'm just looking over where my doc, dog usually sleeps. I think she's going to be getting a few more walks <laughs> going forward. So Dr. Dr. Joan Iflin, if you could, bring, again, one more time, this is a fascinating conversation. Thank you. I'm glad that, that we spent this time together. But if you could provide the resources again, because I think this is so, so critical, because just from my experience, working with other people in having the same experience in an, who are addicted to similar things, be it gambling, sex, alcohol, processed food, working with other people that are that are, that are working through and recovering from the same addiction is essential. It's essential to taking control back over your life. So please, I'll give you a couple minutes to to um, share the resources that you have. Thank you. the The first step to understanding your relationship with this, I think, it's a common addiction is to go to foodaddictionreset.com and take the self-quiz. It's not a diagnosis, but it's the 11 diagnostic criteria for alcoholism worded for eating. And you will see immediately, if you have six or more, you can just breathe a big sigh of relief and say, oh, 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 it's an addiction. And then you can go, we do have a program uh, it's it's a lifetime program, but it's very very expert and it's very comprehensive, and you can get the the essential piece of the immersion. So it's math. The more hours you spend around people who are not eating processed foods, who think are thinking positively, and exercising, uh, the faster you will do it. It's math. It's really substituting an hour of television for an hour of arc programming. Your, your brain, your mirror neurons, your conformance drive will engage more quickly and you will be taking better care of yourself. Those decisions about food will become easier and easier. So uh, that's, your, that's a really a great place to start. We do have a very comprehensive website with a lot of free material uh, and all of our services were interested in uh, legal proceedings. I'm a, a leading expert in the field we're interested in helping health professionals who are traumatized by not being able to help their patients. So we got a lot of uh, services. That's at processedfoodaddiction.com. Mm. 
processedfoodaddiction.com. And if you just want to get your toes wet, um, the first segment at Processed Food Addiction is all of our free materials. We have a free channel on uh, YouTube. We've got Food Addiction Education at Facebook. Uh, we've got some free websites. So yeah, you can you can go as fast and as slow and you can just, uh, we, I've done a lot over the years. I started writing the textbook in 2014 and I've just been putting material up on the internet ever since. So yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to live with this. It's, it's like being in a prison inside your mind. You don't have to live with this. Well, Dr. Iflin, I really, and I don't say this, to, I'm not making light of it, but, but what, but what comes to mind is that scene from, um, goodness gracious, I'm t- it's uh, Robin Williams and Matt Damon from um, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting, where Robin Williams is a therapist is saying to Matt Damon, it's not your fault. It's it, not your fault. Matt Damon finally has his breakthrough about yeah. what is blocking him. And it's just Robin Williams' character over and over again is saying, it's not your fault. It's, yeah. I, I kind of feel, and I don't mean to, I'm not, I'm not saying that to make light it's of huge. this. It's stretch huge. imagination, But it's it really huge. is. And, and for listeners out there, this is such a power. I want to say, Doc, this is probably one of the top five most important podcasts I've recorded in the years I've been doing this. Oh, thank you. Because, but, but because this is such, like you said, we're, we're being bombarded by all these media images and these companies have spent hundreds of millions of dollars formulating their products yeah. to make them more desirable. And, and you went yeah. through the five A's. And it's just really, I mean, this is fascinating work, and I will definitely want to look forward to following up with you in a few months and having you back on and and being able to provide more resources. Thank you. I I would love to do that. Before I go into the wrap-up, just a little reminder, if you want to see that interview, if you want to see us have that conversation in person, and it's fascinating, go to the All About Fitness podcast channel on YouTube. That's all about fitness podcast channel on YouTube, and you can watch Dr. Iflin and I interact. And again, I say that sometimes I I don't talk about my being in a twelve step recovery program that often. I, I have I, I do have alcoholism. I deal with that. Whatever I go to meetings. So if you if you go to meetings as well, please reach out to me. You know, and it's been more. I haven't had a drink in more than twelve years. I've been very fortunate to break that cycle. And it really is. I mean, if you've ever been, if you've been a part of AA, if you've gone to AA meetings, one of the best things about that community is we connect via our shared journey. You know, and I don't, I just don't talk about that that much on the podcast. But if you're, if you're walking that same path, if you're walking that same course, by all means, feel free to reach out because it'd be great to know um, that there are other people like there. And I want you to know that I share some of that same stuff. And, and yeah, I share some of these struggles. And I could relate to a lot of what Dr. Iflin today, what, what a lot of what Dr. Iflin was talking about in this episode, I could relate to it from having dealt with an addiction, from having dealt with my ism, with dealing with, living with my ism, my alcoholism. Because there are, are times, like I shared about in the intro, there are times when I find myself at a frozen yogurt shop or I might find myself in a fast food lane going, well, I'm not really that hungry. Why am I here? And one of the reasons why I do exercise, why I exercise regularly, my goal, my goal for 2021 is to do something active every day. That doesn't mean work out every day. That means do something active every day. Some days that's just as a walk around the neighborhood dragging my English bulldog. 
Other days, it's going for a long mountain bike ride. Other days, it's swinging a kettlebell. But one of the reasons why I exercise and why I make physical activity a foundation of my life is living with an addiction. I know that it helps me. It helps me deal with that. I know Dr. Ifland and I talked a little bit about after I, before I hit record and after I stopped recording, we talked a little bit about the neurotransmitters, about how exercise can help influence that. So when you look at processed food, if you've ever, and we've all experienced that, if you've ever have had that bag of cookies, you've ever had that fast food and, and you feel that little sudden, you feel that like sensation. It's like, oh, wow, whew, okay, I'm getting, I'm eating whatever, whatever processed food it is, you feel better. That's because there's a company that spent tens of millions of dollars researching how that makes you feel. They know what they're doing with their media images. They know what they're doing with their food biochemistry. I thought it was fascinating. I never connected the two. But in the 80s, you did have R.J. Reynolds, a tobacco company, buy Nabisco, which makes processed food. So it makes sense that the same scientists who engineered addiction for tobacco, for cigarettes, okay, they're going to be regulating cigarettes. We're about to, people are realizing the addictive nature of what we've done with cigarettes, but we still want to have a cash flow, a cash, a revenue stream. So let's just take what we've learned about addiction from from tobacco and turn it to processed foods. And if you're if you're the target demographic for this audience, if you're in your mid 40s, early 50s, you can remember how you can think back to how that's changed in the last 30 years. How the advertising, how the media, how everybody's changed. I mean, we're on one hand we're much more aware of it now, right? On one hand we're much we we do make healthier choices. I mean, 30 years ago you couldn't get a kale smoothie anywhere. 30 years ago, we're much more aware of it, but it still happens. And I mean, it. like I shared with Dr. Iflin, it really was recently I was watching regular TV for the first time in a while, and I was really blown away by some of the commercials. I forgot how incessant, for lack of a better term, they can be. And it's just, this is a fascinating topic. I mean, the, the, the fact I've known about food addiction, and I know that people have OA issues, we have all types of addiction, and I can relate to the fact that we have processed food addiction. Yeah, I'm going to be checking out the references and the resources on, on our website. I think it's very important. And I would invite you to take a strong look at that. I invite you to take a, to take a big look at that if you feel you have those issues. And if you're a fitness professional, a trainer, an instructor, and you're working with people who you maybe identify with, Use the resources to help them. And I'll share this about what finally got me started going to meetings years ago was Dr. Iflin at the end talked about that. There's a 12, I think it's 12 questions. It's been a while since I've looked at it. In in AA literature, in any addiction literature, any addiction literature, there there are questions to ask if you're an alcoholic or an addict or whatever. And it was when I looked at those questions and I answered yes to most of them, that's when I realized, you know, A, number one, I need help. B, I can't do it alone because I try to do it alone. I wasn't successful at it. And I'm not going to see here and I, I never would judge anybody whether or not you need. It's not my job to judge whether or not you need help, whether or not you need any. I don't care. Frankly, it's up to you. Just whatever. Just don't drive. That's the only thing I ask. Don't drive. Whatever you do, if it's going to influence the way your ability to control a motor vehicle, don't drive. I would never judge anybody for how they act or what they do or how they treat their body. 
But the one thing I would let you know is I'm here to help. That's the one thing I've learned about being in the program for a number of years is that we work with each other to support each other. That's one of the things I'm trying to do with the All About Fitness community. I want to grow this, not just be a podcast, but be a community. And I'm not talking about addiction. That's not. I'm talking about community of like-minded individuals looking to use exercise to enhance the quality of life and extend our lifespan. That's my goal for the podcast. Enhance and extend. Enhance, number one, the quality of life. Number two, extend it via exercise. That's my goal. That's how I want to create community, and we can all work together with that. If you like the podcast, you can support it by purchasing a piece of content. Please go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com. PeteMcCallFitness.com. Join my mailing list. I'll send you a chapter from my book, Smarter Workouts. You'll be eligible for content delivered straight to your email box. And you'll learn how to use exercise to achieve those goals. Enhance your quality of life and extend your lifespan. As always, thank you for stopping by. I certainly look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.